When the Prime Minister John Key came to power six years ago, he promised to put New Zealand on a path to higher growth and higher wages. That goal has proven elusive, despite the government adopting many policies that experts believe will unlock the economy's potential. Last month, it took further steps to make it easier for firms to compete globally, introducing employer-friendly legislation. This Radio New Zealand Insight investigates whether the changes will help lift economic growth and worker pay. Ensuring goods get in and out of the country's ports quickly and efficiently is considered essential for a trading nation like New Zealand, which is far from many of its major markets. The chief executive of the Ports of Auckland, Tony Gibson, says a 2012 Productivity Commission report found the industry needed to lift its game, especially in the country's biggest region. The benefits of higher productivity, workplaces include higher real wages, better working conditions, higher levels of job satisfaction, and more competitive and profitable business. And it's said that most New Zealand port companies, their employees and unions, have some work to do to fully achieve those benefits. And I'd probably put Ports of Auckland at the top of that list. It's not a very good list to be at the top of. The port went through a bruising dispute with the Maritime Union in 2011, which is still to be resolved. Mr Gibson downplays the conflict, but says unions need to be pragmatic. Unions are necessary, and particularly in the environment we work in. I mean, they're active in terms of our health and safety uh, protocols. But I think where unions have got to come from is getting alongside us and adopting the same modern methodology that does deliver better outcomes for our customers but our people. But the secretary of the Auckland branch of the Maritime Union, Russell Main, is under no illusions about the new laws. Our nickname for it is the Ports of Auckland legislation, that's how we refer to it. We say it's targeted at our union because our union managed to defend its members' jobs during a strike and a lockout and bargaining when the company was bargaining to contract out our, our jobs. Russell Main says it'll mean smaller pay packets and weaker protections in what is a very dangerous job. I'm Patrick O'Mara. And this insight explores who will benefit from the changes and how much more flexible New Zealand's labour laws will be under the new rules. Mr Chairman, uh, the Employment Relations Amendment Bill delivers on this government's... The Minister for Workplace Relations and Safety, Michael Woodhouse, introducing the Employment Relations Amendment Bill in late October. It is designed to enhance uh, and create a more flexible workplace relations environment. And it continues this government's strong focus on reduction in compliance costs and unnecessary burdensome regulation. Mr Woodhouse argues the new law will promote what he calls flexibility between employers and workers. However, a partner in employment law specialist, Cullen Law, Peter Cullen, says in reality most employees won't notice any change. Mr Cullen says the law has always allowed significant scope for employers and employees to work matters out as they go along. The big workforces have uh, gone and uh, you're back, as you say, to people working with the boss, usually with their employer in small numbers, and uh, uh, the last thing that would enter their mind is uh, going on strike or <laughs> challenging uh, the employer, unless uh, people are dismissed wrongly in that, of course they do then, but it's not, not a normal thing to be have an activist workforce in the way that they used to. What you're saying is there seems to be quite a lot of flexibility in the work arrangement then? Well, it's uh, people work it out themselves every day usually. The rise of the 24-7 economy has forced change on firms and their staff, 
even in traditionally hidebound sectors like banking. The chief executive at the Cooperative Bank, Bruce McLaughlin, says society has changed rapidly since he started work in banking 30 years ago. The old norms no longer exist. Just go to a, a mall on a Sunday and have a look how busy bank branches are. It tells you that you know, it's being driven by customer demand, customer changes, society changes. It's not being driven by banks. We're just kind of reacting to that. One of the cooperative's competitors, ANZ Bank, is currently in dispute with unions over changes to staff rosters. It wouldn't comment while negotiations are on. But even the cooperative bank has had to embrace extended hours, and Bruce McLaughlin says its new workers are expected to work weekends or later hours. We're a cooperative, so what underpins a cooperative is fairness, and so the first rule that drives us is we want to be fair with our staff, and if our staff have joined us you know, on a contract that's 8.30 to 5, five days a week, we, we do not expect them to do more than that, but we give them the option of working weekends. What it means is the new staff that we're employing we're employing on the basis that, hey, there may be an expectation that they work uh, weekends or uh, later hours. And so it's really changing the new people that we're bringing on rather than forcing big changes for our existing staff. Over a cup of coffee at a cafe in Wellington, the chief executive of Business New Zealand, Phil O'Reilly, acknowledges that New Zealand was already one of the easiest places in the world to change workplace practices. Certainly by world standards, New Zealand's labour laws allow for a fair bit of flexibility at, at workplace level, and, and the package of laws that's being proposed actually uh, simply improves that somewhat and gives it a bit of a polish. So the very flexibility that I think most New Zealand workers would appreciate, and certainly most New Zealand employers appreciate, that's a hallmark fundamentally of this current set of legislation is a good thing and, and we would want to keep that uh, and the proposals that have been put up by government really don't do much to change that very much actually. Employers maintain what they like to call flexibility has been driven by the changing nature of work and that change is supported by current statistics. The Pro Vice Chancellor of Humanities and Social Sciences at Massey University, Paul Spoonley, says up to two-thirds of employment is now classed as casual, part-time or contract. Professor Spoonley says while some people do well and earn a good income and have stable prospects, a significant number are experiencing a more precarious working life. There is a very significant periphery around this core of people who work and get good income who are not experiencing particularly uh, secure conditions, are not experiencing adequate income for their work, and in recent surveys, and it's true in the UK at the moment, by the way, where we see a repeat where a large number of people in the labour market don't expect job security, are feeling very insecure in terms of the future security of their employment, and you see the levels of anxiety growing in this precariat. Professor Paul Spoonley says a surprisingly sizable number of people are working two or more jobs to make ends meet. What we discovered when we were looking at the non-standard sector and what surprised me was that 10% of everybody in work in New Zealand is working in two or more paid jobs. And I was quite surprised that the number's working in four or five paid jobs. And that's really to put together enough income to survive on. A 2013 Council of Trade Unions report estimated at least 30% of New Zealand workers, over 635,000 people, were in insecure or precarious work but says it could be higher. The vulnerability of those in this environment was highlighted recently by Carolyn Alpine, 
a casino worker at Sky City in Auckland, who worked two shifts or 16 hours a week. Covered those questions, you've made your point. So we'll go at the company's annual meeting, she spoke of her shifts being cut from two to one without any consultation. My apologies. I'm also a frontline staff, so I want to put a face to frontline staff. I'm probably going to have to sell my house. I've been an employee for 15 years. I've been part-time for 11 years, working for two shifts a week, which, being a solo mother, has got me through. You are now dictating that I can only have one shift a week. No consultation, nothing. Just suddenly turned up on my roster. I can't live on one shift a week. I thank you for the shares. They've come from a previous scheme that Sky City ran for, as you think, so I haven't actually paid for these, so thank you for those. But I just want to let you know that frontline staff are not happy. I don't know what to say because I'm just so upset at the things that you're doing to your frontline staff now. Speaking a week after that, Carolyn Alpine has no regrets bringing the matter up. Yeah, I've, I was really in two minds whether to do it or not. Especially when they keep going on about how happy the staff are, how wonderful, what an employer are, and they just don't... I wanted them to understand that some of the policies were actually affecting the staff, that we weren't happy, and can cause hardships. Caroline Alpine worked the Friday and Saturday night shifts at Sky City, the casino's two busiest nights of the week. She doesn't understand why Sky City would want to cut her hours back. Flexibility is you want the busy shifts covered. If, if people are set on shifts that are not necessary, then I can understand them not really wanting to over-employ on a particular time frame. But when you're working a, the busiest shifts of the week, I don't see where the need is to change it. Her plight is not unusual. Low-hour contracts, which can be as short as eight hours a week, are used heavily in many sectors, including retail, hospitality, fast food, transport and distribution. Hayley, which is not her real name, works 18 hours a week in retail in the Bay of Plenty. She says it's difficult earning extra money and getting hours that suit her young family. I've never, ever managed to build up more contracted hours. And you'd like more hours? Definitely, but more so to suit my family at the moment. In what way? Well, it's easier for someone like me who has children to work during the day. I work at night. Robert Reid is the General Secretary with First Union, which has 27,000 members covering retail, finance, transport and distribution. He says low-hour contracts can play havoc with people trying to pay their rent or mortgage and support their family. They could have been earning, say, a 40-hour-a-week for a number of months. They could have signed up to HP, they could have even bought a house, but then suddenly they'll realise their contracted hours um, are only uh, that initial 10 they signed up to when the employer unilaterally just takes away uh, those um, other 30 hours and they are basically less than a part-time worker trying to bring up a family or, or run a household. Robert Reed says it's been getting worse for some. He says contracts that guarantee no hours a week, which are called as and when required or zero-hour contracts, are starting to creep in. 
this is happening uh, even in some of our well-known stores and supermarkets in the country. And a zero-hour contract means that you are at the whim of that employer as to how many hours that you'll be given every week, and that can go up and down, up and down all the time, or as I said before, it could remain, you might have a zero-hour contract, but you could be working 35 hours a week, which is really what you need uh, for quite a long time, and then suddenly that will be brought back to zero. So zero-hour and low-hour contracted hours are the big problem that we're having uh, in the service and retail part of the economy. Brett Patterson has first-hand experience of zero-hour contracts. He's worked for Burger King in Hamilton for two years and says he can get a call at a moment's notice to work. Uh, the one that I work at is currently on Greenwood Street and that's the main traffic route to walk on when you think about it. And it's one of the busiest drive-through stores in New Zealand and it's a rush. We, we, have, we have to make orders with under a minute sort of thing and non-stop going all, all day long. He says his zero-hour contract means he's reluctant to make plans to meet up with family and friends because if he doesn't take work offered, his hours will be chopped back the next week. He says it's stressful trying to make a living. Because we've got zero hours in our contract, like never guaranteed, I find myself always trying to fight for the hours, and it's hard when you get sick, because when you get sick, you, you can't be there as much to fight for the hours. I was quite sick recently, and um, from what I understood, that our hours are meant to be put up no matter what, even though if you aren't at work, if you're providing medical notes and everything, you're still meant to have some sort of hours allocated no matter what. This week I came to work and realised I had no hours whatsoever and it's only due to the fact that I went and dropped my medical certificate off and seen a couple of people there and they were like, well, we're screaming for work at the moment, can you please come back to work? Uh, yeah, I can, but it's only every other day that I've been getting a phone call, look, we need you to come in for so-and-so and it's only been four hours here, five hours here sort of thing, not an eight-hour shift, which is a typical you know, New Zealand Kiwi day, is eight-hour shift, go home, put your feet up and have a beer. Brett Patterson is also a delegate with Unite, a 7,000-strong union that covers the fast food workers, as well as casino, call centre and security staff. Its national director, Mike Treen, says these contracts are the norm in the fast food industry, with people expected to be at the beck and call of bosses. Most of our contracts uh, don't stipulate a minimum, so I've been calling them zero-hour contracts as they've been called in the UK because it's actually the same. So McDonald's, KFC, Pizza Hut, Starbucks, Burger King, Wendy's, they all, all of the contracts have no minimum hours. And so people can be and are rostered anywhere from sort of 3 to 40 hours a week, and, or sometimes 60 hours a week, and it depends a lot on how you get on with your manager, whether you're deemed to be cooperative, whether you're deemed to be an excellent worker, whether you're deemed to be sort of a suck-up, you know, who knows. Whatever it is, because often the managers are also quite young in these industries and so aren't necessarily operating the official company policy, which is, you know, the companies claim they want people to have regular work, they want people to have stable rosters where possible, but certainly for many, many workers that's not the reality of their life. The director for the Centre of Labour, Employment and Work at Victoria University, Stephen Blumenfeld, says the global financial crisis also hastened the use of contract workers who are supplied by a third party. Dr Blumenfeld says while this has been usual in cleaning jobs, there's been a growth in other areas like the building trades and earthquake-damaged Christchurch. 
Many of them are working in cleaning jobs, the typical jobs that you think of when you think of uh, contract work. So the building trades, uh, for instance, they're generally low-paid jobs. They're jobs, actually, that are classified now under the Employment Relations Act as being vulnerable work or the workers themselves being vulnerable workers. First Union's Robert Reed says these arrangements have become more prevalent in transport, logistics and manufacturing and is essentially another form of zero-hour contracting. Essentially, a labour hire agency is an agency which hires people on zero hours. You sign up to a labour hire agency, you usually sign up with that agency because a particular job at a particular site has been advertised. Um, you then go and work in that site. You can be working alongside other workers who are employed directly from that site, you may get less money, you probably will get less money than someone working right alongside you, even about $5 an hour, in some cases less. You can be turned on or off um, because of the contract you've signed with the labour hire agency as to how many hours you work a week. And you can be brought back to zero at any time. The Northern Employers and Manufacturers Chief Executive, Kim Campbell, says workers are not being exploited, insisting their rights to such things as meal breaks, holidays, time off and health and safety have been protected. Where there's unfairness and where there's exploitation, we'll be the first there to, to see it changed. Uh, we're a long, long, long way down the track from little boys being sent up chimneys uh, in the modern era. If the previous laws allowed for flexible work arrangements, what differences will the new legislation bring? Business New Zealand's Chief Executive Phil O'Reilly says the changes will reduce what are regarded as unnecessarily protracted and costly bargaining between unions and employers. He says that will suit employers in critical industries like ports, dairy processes and freezing works. The percentage of workplaces is relatively low, but often they're very, very impactful workplaces to New Zealand. They're ports, they're logistics, they're large-scale manufacturing and industrial facilities, they're freezing companies and meat companies and so on. So although the number of them is relatively small, their impact on the economy and therefore the importance of making sure that bargaining is as efficient and as sensible as possible, if you like, uh, is important to New Zealand, even though most workers actually won't see many of these changes in their own workplaces. At the ports of Auckland, its chief executive, Tony Gibson, says despite the ongoing dispute with the Maritime Union, it'll keep pressing for workplace changes. It's about the right change. Um, and potentially with some employers it could mean that they use that to actually make fast change. We have not been about fast change, it's about creating that winning culture and over time it's about engagement with the entire workforce and making sure that we're all on the same page. But the Maritime Union's Russell Main says the union's position has been weakened already and the so-called tidying up will weaken it further. He says the continuing dispute means there's no collective agreement currently in place and the port has taken on new workers on individual contracts. If you were an employer and you wanted to attack in a union, you would make sure that the collective agreement wasn't renewed, so if there's no duty to conclude, you walk away. And then as you start employing new workers, they all go on individual agreements. Is that the situation now? Is that what's happening at the port? That's what's happening at the port at the moment, yes. Unions represent only one in ten workers in the private sector, and about one in five overall. The new laws will certainly make life even harder for them. Employers can now walk away from bargaining, 
while new workers will not be employed under the collective agreement as had been the case. The General Secretary at First Union, Robert Reid, says these changes dim the attractiveness of unions to workers. That just means that collective agreements will fall over. Collective agreements are better than what the law provides for workers and we'll see again a decline in standard of living of workers in New Zealand. Employers argue the new rules do help workers. All employees can now ask for changes to their workplace arrangement, not just those picking up children from care or school. The chief executive at the Cooperative Bank, Bruce McLaughlin, says people's lives are increasingly complicated and greater flexibility work-wise helps. For a lot of people it actually suits them. It's a massive balancing act these days of the modern family lifestyle and having situations where parents can actually look after children but also you know, often partners are, are working kind of strange hours as well. So for a lot of people they prefer to work on weekends and having Monday and Tuesday off. It's no one model is, is, is the constant model for any individual these days. Unite's Mike Treen says in most cases Flexibility really means what best suits the employer, not the worker. It comes down to power, um, that if every shift you get from week to week is completely dependent on your manager, then your level of cooperation from their point of view is enhanced. And also, so you don't push back over, you, over whether you're getting your breaks, you don't push back over you know, doing a little bit extra here and there. You don't push back if, the, if you think it's an unreasonable request. You don't argue back, you don't uh, assert your rights. Indeed, the one choice many workers in insecure work would like is more hours. Brett Patterson says his situation is the lot of fast food workers, many of whom have families. It's hard for us to try and get by at the end of the day. Like, we basically, we're almost like homeless and jobless, but we're trying to hustle as much as we can. It's the easiest way to put it, really, to, to get our money and to, to keep our families happy. Because we've got members at my store where, where they've got kids and they've got all sorts, and they're struggling just to try and pick up some hours. And then when they do pick up some hours, they pick up too many, and so they have to give it away, otherwise they're going to lose their benefit. The Bay of Plenty retail employee we called Haley says she enjoys her work but wants more and family-friendly hours. I actually do love what I um, the job that I do, but I'd like to extend more hours to suit other days to do with my children and my, the rest of my family. Carolyn Alpine echoes those sentiments, saying Sky City hasn't been a bad employer, but management needs to be fair. They do a lot of wonderful things for their staff, they do. But it's the old case of when they want to save money, it's always the front line that suffer. I mean, that's not strictly Sky City, that's a lot of corporations do that, but it always seems to be the ones at the bottom that cop it. An organiser for casino workers at Unite, John Crocker, who was also a dealer at Sky City for seven years, says putting people on low-hour contracts comes with its own costs for the company. We've got a lot of staff who aren't getting the, the hours week to week. Um, they're employing more staff, or staff are still hungry for hours. So that's something we're going to be focusing on. There's a large group of them who are in that situation. Has that been a trend which is, you've noticed in your entire time being involved with the company? Um, Table Games is one of the largest departments. It's been years since they've hired full-time staff. It's just something they've put a stop to. They're only hiring part-time staff now. Even though... If you do have people committed there, it, it kind of seems logical that you might stick them on full-time. Yeah, um, there are plenty of drawbacks to the company to, um, to this approach. Uh, they're having problems with people not cementing their skills because they're only showing up once a week. They're having trouble getting on top of the skill set. They've become a 
spawning ground for Australia, or it'll give the people the skills, they won't give them enough hours, and then people are jumping across the ditch to get the higher pay. Uh, so it's costing them in terms of their training, their turnover rate is high. It's very much a balancing act for them, and there are some real drawbacks on their side as well. First Union's Robert Reid says flexibility can suit the likes of students and retirees. But it's much more difficult for those trying to support families or pay mortgages on irregular incomes. He says while the Prime Minister John Key talks about addressing poverty, workplace laws that weaken unions and erode pay and conditions means he's contributing to it. Workers who don't know one week from the next what their hours are going to be, for labour hire workers sometime one day from the next what their hours are going to be, it's impossible for them to budget, it's impossible for them uh, to get their rights and their benefits um, that they're entitled to uh, through work and income and other places and these are partly responsible for the building of this a class of working poor which we hear so much about today and which the food banks are telling us are now their biggest clients rather than beneficiaries themselves. Business lobby groups argue the global financial crisis and the rise of the internet has relentlessly driven down costs and changed the landscape that firms operate in. The Northern Employers and Manufacturers Chief Executive Kim Campbell says employers and staff have to give a little if firms are to survive an increasingly tough environment. For business it's not fair either, it's tough. Uh, I, I think, uh, in fact, it is fair. Uh, nobody has a job for life like they had in the old days, and businesses don't have a market for life. And, and we have to reflect what's the, the, the new reality. Business New Zealand's Phil O'Reilly says the employment changes are fair to all sides. The last thing that employers actually want is radical movements of the pendulum here. We don't actually want to go all the way from national awards through to absolutely nothing and back again every, every time a government changes. If we were seeing industrial disputation rise rapidly in workplaces and if we were seeing some real problems with the industrial relations system in New Zealand, we'd be advocating for much more radical surgery than we're advocating for today. This is really about trying to make sure that you get uh, enough change to remove some of the, some of the thorns in the saddle or the, you know, the stones in the shoe that are occurring in current industrial relations. First Union's Robert Reid has a different view. Mr Reid says the previous Employment Relations Act, brought in by Helen Clark's Labour government, was itself a very employer-friendly law compared with its predecessor, the controversial Employment Contracts Act. He fears certain zealous employers will continue to agitate for more concessions from unions and workers. Robert Reid says on employment, the government should follow its own advice and beef up the regulations, like it's doing with health and safety and exploitation of migrant workers. More regulations, not less, to actually make our workplaces safe again and to stop what it calls the gross exploitation of some migrant workers in New Zealand. Now, if you need regulation to do those two things, why is it going in the opposite direction in the general area of employment relations? I just think it's an ideological bent. That's unlikely under this government. But Massey University's Professor Paul Spoonley does sound a warning about the growth of precarious work. He says politicians and officials need to think hard about how to improve the lot of those who are struggling. What concerns me is the tail, and that tail is increasingly looking like it being Māori, Pacifica and young people. And if we don't address the work prospects and the work experience and the work skills of that group, because work defines us, 
apart from the fact that it gives us income, it defines who we are. And if there are groups that are excluded from satisfactory work, then we are creating problems for ourselves. The changes to the labour laws also raise questions about whether New Zealand will ever get onto that promised path to higher growth and high wages. I'm Patrick O'Mara, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight.